Well, if you would turn in your scriptures to Luke chapter 19 this morning, the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. familiar passage with Zacchaeus, Luke 19, beginning at verse 1. He, that is Christ, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Christ was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was a small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this text and as we continue to consider your providence, we pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be sanctified, Visit with us in the power of your Holy Spirit and through the ministry of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that was interesting. Charlene and I and the kids were returning to Arnstein from our monthly trip to North Bay long ago. And something very interesting happened. We were driving down the highway, and a tire passed me, just a tire on a rim. I said, look at that. You don't see that every day. And then I thought, that tire looks familiar. The tire hit a bank and soared through the air into the bush, and, and then the back of the car went down on one side. And that's when I realized that it is my tire after all. Unfortunately, we came to a stop on three tires and an axle. And I called the mechanic in Arnstein and he drove out with a few men and he was a little red faced as they hadn't torqued the nuts on the tire the day before. And somehow it, in it all, God's providence was working. God's mysterious ways, we say, God's invisible hand in our lives, in history, in creation. Was it 
preventative providence? Was God pre preventing something from happening? Even worse, perhaps, was it permissive providence that God was allowing this to happen for his own reasons? I didn't understand. All I knew was that we were safe and the mechanic experienced mercy. Perhaps that's what God was doing. You know, when we speak of the providence of God, God's invisible hand working to bring about that which he alone can accomplish, to bring about his purpose, the number one objection that people have to the very idea of God's sovereignty and providence is this. What about my free will? What about my free will? If God is providentially working, bringing about his purposes, don't I have free will? Don't I have the, the, the freedom to decide and to act and to do what I want to do? We tend to be more concerned about our free will than God's free will. But notice what Jesus says to Zacchaeus in verse 5, pick up there. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up, he's up in the tree, Zacchaeus, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. There's something special going on here. Jesus doesn't seem to know Zacchaeus, but he declares that there is a necessary action required. I must stay at your house. Scholars call this word here in the Greek, which is day, they call it the divine day, D-E-I. The divine day, there's a whole theology around this word. The divine day. And it is used by Jesus frequently, especially in the Gospel of Luke, to declare divine necessity. That the Father's will makes a certain action necessary. And then the one acting submits to the Father's will to bring it about. I must stay at your house, the divine day. In Luke 22, Jesus says, when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be all at once. What things must take place? The things that the Father has willed to take place must happen, God's providence. And Jesus is shown frequently then submitting to the Father's will. I must stay at your house, Zacchaeus. God has willed it. And here, and throughout the Gospels, the divine day is used to declare Jesus' willingness to submit to the will of the Father. Remember this verse. The Son of Man must suffer many things 
and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He must suffer. And then he says in Luke 24, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. Jesus said at his arrest, put your sword back into its place, he told Peter, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. The divine day. The father wills it. And the son willingly subjects his will to the father's. You see, Jesus is not concerned about his own free will. He is concerned about seeing the Father's will done. That's his focus. And Jesus is shown continually submitting his will to the Father's. He said to them, remember this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Wow, this is my food, my necessary food to do the Father's will. Now, like providence, there are various aspects of God's will. And there's a long list of various categories of the will of God. The two, perhaps greatest, are God's will of desire. We call it that, God's conditional will, his permissive will, perhaps, what God wants. That is, a verse like this, God is not willing that any should perish. That is true. God is not willing, you see. But the difference in the will of desire is that God doesn't back up that will with his power. He doesn't back it up with his power. He, he does this when he calls us to obey or to be holy. It, 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 it's walking this. His will of, des, of desire is to be followed. But he doesn't back it up. He doesn't cause it necessarily. He wants it done, but he doesn't see it done. But then there is his declarative will. And this is sometimes called his sovereign will, sometimes his effective will, his determinate will. What God wills will happen because this will he backs up with his power. And he sees it done, his purposes. All that God decrees here comes to pass without exception. God's working in history. God's working in, in lives to usher his plan of redemption forward through the ages. My purposes shall stand, God says. His declarative will is sovereign, it's glorious, it's powerful. We invite it to be done, don't we? Actually, in the prayer that Jesus gave to us, we invite it to be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This will is typically where we find his providence, the divine day, I must, it must, he must. 
in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, it speaks of God, that he does according to his will among the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is to say, and this is humbling and difficult for the human race. This is to say that our free will is not absolute. God's free will is absolute. When God providentially determines a course of action, he alone has the power to see it done absolutely. And this is a truth that is forgotten by men and women who are so concerned about their own free will. They're so resentful about God's free will. They're irritated by God's free will. The very idea that God's will will prevail. This upsets the human race in our fallenness. Why? Well, these people have stubborn and rebellious hearts, the scripture says. They've turned aside and gone away. Our free will as human beings is finite, not absolute. It's limited. It operates within the boundaries of our created being and so must be limited. We don't have absolute free will in that sense. We lack the power to bring out, to bring things, uh, to see our will done. We lack that power. We lack the wisdom. We lack the knowledge. I can freely will many things, but that doesn't mean anything I will is going to come to pass. And it's the same for you. Our free will is not absolute. It functions within boundaries and borders that God has determined and set up by the very nature of us being created by him, by our very humanity. And so our free will operates within certain defined borders or boundaries. And our experience of daily life tells us this is true even though it irritates the spirit of fallen man. Our experience tells us this is true. In fact, typically, we don't say, I will this, because we know we are powerless. Instead, we may say, I wish this. That's the language of reality. I wish this, but, <laughs> you know, I, I, I wish I had this, or I wish I could do this, or I wish I had that job, or I wish... Because it's, it's a way of phrasing almost um, un, unknowingly that, that we lack the power to bring about our will. It's the language of reality, I wish. And so within the boundaries of our localized existence, our finite existence, um, this is how God made us. Think of the scripture where Jesus says in Matthew, he says, by which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? You can be anxious all you want. It's not going to add anything 
to the length of your life. If you're worried about that. Nor shall you make an oath, he says, by your head, for you can't make one hair white or black. Naturally, we're talking not dyes or anything like that. It's beyond. We're, we're so limited. We're so finite. We're so powerless. We can't even make a hair white or black, he says, on our own. And so we pray, as Jesus taught us, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, our dependence. God's will is what matters. And we of all people, Christians, are supposed to get this. It's his will that matters, not yours, not mine. We are dependent on him and we look to him. Up north, there was a time when we had five little kids. It was difficult to keep food on the table and our cupboards were bare. We prayed, the Lord would provide food. And I had, a, I had a hankering for a salmon sandwich. You ever get that? That's a little weird, but a salmon sandwich. I sure hadn't been a funeral in a while. And uh, I had a hankering for a salmon sandwich. <laughs> and you know, that evening a box was delivered to our door. It came from a family in North Bay. and We didn't, we didn't even know them. The box was full of food and the kids had a lot of fun digging into it. And one of them said, look, Daddy, and answered, held up four little tins of, of salmon. And it occurred to Charlene and I that our prayers had been answered before we even prayed. <laughs> because it took a day for them to get to us. All the time, the distance, the delivery. Box was already on its journey to us when we prayed. We prayed. His will was decided and provided. And what was a wish on my part, you know, salmon sandwich, was a will on his part. And he backed it up by his power and saw it done. It's encouraging. Watch for that every moment of our days and watch for his will being done in our own lives. You know, modern man's so concerned about the free will of man. Um, typically is an expression that uh, no one will rule us. That God is not sovereign. That I'm my own king. And yet, when we examine the reality or the experience of that, we very quickly are humbled. Uh, these illustrations might be helpful. You go to a grocery store, and you come to the soup aisle. Say you go to No Frills, and there is the Campbell's soup, Habitant soup, no-name soup, and you make your choice. You've exercised your free will when you've chosen your soup. Except wisdom would teach you that it's not your absolute free will. You don't have that. You are shopping at No Frills, and their selection of soup is somewhat limited. There's all sorts of parameters. There's inventory 
managers in Toronto have decided what's going to stock the shelf. Shelf space determines it. The manager of the store determines it. You have exercised your free will within the boundaries or under the shadow of all sorts of other people who have exercised will as well. Someone else's will is actually functioning and operating and you are exercising your free will under that shadow. You take your child to go see a movie. You go to the cinema, you find 10 movies are playing and three of them are G-rated. You choose a movie, one of the G-rated movies. If you were to be asked, did you exercise your free will to choose your movie? You would say, yes, I exercise my free will, but not absolutely because there are boundaries. There's only three movies to choose from. And someone else, somewhere else, has determined what those three movies will be. What was available, what selections, what theaters, what costs, all sorts of parameters. You see, you're functioning, you're making your choice within, under the umbrella of another will that is functioning or operating. And this is all to say that we exercise free will as human beings all the time. God created us with free will. But because of who we are and our limited nature and our limited power, our free will does not operate isolated from the wills of others and the choices of others. And our free will functions not absolutely. It is only the Godhead himself the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is absolute free will and can back up his will with his power to see it done. And we live out our lives under the umbrella of his sovereign rule and providential care. You see, to be human is to have limited free will, operating under the shadow of his sovereignty. But in the garden, Adam and Eve separated their will from God's protection, from God's sovereignty. They parted, and mankind has since been proud and arrogant about our free will. We use our free will to violate every boundary that he has put up, to desecrate every border that he has marked out. He says, do not trespass here, and we seek to trespass. Do not go there, and we seek to go there. Dangerous falling rocks, dangerous cliff. Don't go there. Our sin nature has so distorted our will, it's bent it. It's made it crooked. So that we go off in our own ways, in our own will, in our own paths, all crooked, bent, powerless, living out our will apart from his will. And the scripture warns us about this. The scripture says it leads to death and judgment. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. To go your own will, go your own way. It leads to death. And Jesus fully human, living a human life, says to Zacchaeus, I must stay 
at your house, Zacchaeus. There is divine necessity that I stay at your house. Despite the grumbling of the people, and they do grumble, for they see Zacchaeus as a great sinner, Jesus says, I must stay at your house. For what purpose? Verse 9 tells us the purpose. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's for the purpose. I must stay at your house, Zacchaeus. Because salvation is coming to you. And you must believe. Salvation for Zacchaeus. And salvation can come for you. Those of you who have been brought here this morning by the providence of God himself. Perhaps even despite your will. You find yourself here. Don't hide from him. He is seeking. Don't hide from him. His grace is sufficient for you to wash away your sins. And like Zacchaeus, who was a sinner, to know salvation, forgiveness, and to have eternal life, not death. To submit to the will of the Father rather to exalt or pose as someone who has some free will and to humble yourself and understand how limited you are, how small we all are, how powerless. The wind was so strong yesterday, wasn't it? Some horrible things happened south of the border. We're reading about that. And, um, Many people lost their lives in the tornadoes. And here in Sarnia area, Lambton County, there were power outages. There's trees down. There's Christmas decorations all over our street. I tried three times. I went out and redid my Christmas decorations yesterday. And yet the wind was so strong, I finally gave up. The scripture speaks of the Spirit of God blowing into our lives like the wind that cannot be stopped. Jesus says the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit. That's speaking of salvation. The Spirit of God blowing like the wind into lives. No one can stop it. He will prevail. And is His Spirit blowing into your life this morning? Will you not receive Jesus joyfully? Like Zacchaeus, it says he was joyful. Came down and received Christ joyfully. What will be your response? Jesus says this, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. But raise it up on the last day, resurrection. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. To look to Jesus, Savior and Lord of your life. That's the will of the Father. Will you put your faith in Jesus? You know, those of you here this morning who have followed Christ for a long time, perhaps already, we hear of his divine day. I must, says Jesus. There is a human day as well where we say, I must as well. In fact, this is the great challenge of our life. It's a great challenge when we get out of bed in the morning till we put our head back on the pillow. It's a great challenge of every hour of our day is to seek to see his will done rather than our own. To seek to submit our will to his and to live a life in, in, in that place of human day, of Christian day. I must do my Father's will. Jesus lived this out for us. He said this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. And he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was so focused on his Father's will. He willingly subjected his own will to the Father's. Pray that this might be so in your own life. Remember what Jesus said in the garden as we come to the table in just a moment. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray the prayer the Lord gave us and particularly hear and pray that I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're asking God to see his will done in your life. You're submitting yourself to the Father's will, the great challenge of our life, the challenge of even this very hour, this very day. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated.